This show is part of the Pika Science Podcast, studying the intersection of video games and science. Coming to you live from a radio tower near you, studying the intersections of video games and science. This is Pokey Science. Welcome back, everyone. It is I, Madison, uh, and today I am joined with Kirsten. And I have a new friend here uh, who we have to introduce, who is... Ben. Ben, who are you? Um, yes, I am new to the PokéScience podcast. I'm a PhD student at George Washington University. I am looking at 21st century American culture, the digital age, video games, uh, what young people are up to. Um, and I really, really love Pokemon. So this is right up my alley. What young people are up to. Uh, something that eludes me every day. <laughs> me too and i love researching it for that reason <laughs> i feel like but you're like way younger than me you're like 10 years younger than me even so even so uh you and chelsea make me feel old <laughs> anyways i'm happy to have you here and i'm excited uh today though we're talking uh we're doing a two-parter here aren't we kirsten mm-hmm. you and i have been talking this episode kirsten since december <laughs> Yes, I think so. Yeah. Just so everyone knows, uh, having a larger cast and having more wheels turning does mean we plan things out a bit more and has a lot more going on and a lot more we're working on at once. So yeah, we've been thinking about this since December. We want to do a two-parter and we're going to talk about Spain or Paldea. So this is part one. It's all Latin to me anyways. Or is it Arabic? I don't know. We'll find (laughs) out. So obviously, uh, we all know that uh, Paldea is based on Spain. We all saw that map and we were like, hey, it's Spain. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think I called Spain wrong. I called the UK right. I remember that. I did that on the show. I was like, oh, the next mm. game's UK. Mm. I called Spain wrong. I'm calling it here though. The next one, the next one's Australia mm. or New Zealand. Like like or New Zealand. For sure, for sure. I think so. They're hints towards it. Ooh, that'd be exciting. Have a blue ringed octopus Pokemon and you die within two seconds. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> you lose all your items. <laughs> going back <laughs> just lose everything you run into it the trainer just dies <laughs> new era for pokemon <laughs> well i mean we have time travel though so or do we that's true or do we we'll find out <laughs> in the expansion fast uh so spain uh paldea we have a lot to talk about though and i, I want to get started here uh my favorite thing ever and and i, I hopefully you too like it just as much is food mm-hmm yeah. yeah. <laughs> in general, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love cooking. I love eating it. Uh, and honestly, I was really excited to see all the food options for this game. And and I think I think they did a really great job here tying in some of the Spanish history and culture when it comes to food. So, uh, Ben, I'm going to turn it over to you. Let's start with you. What, what do you, you got to talk about here? Yeah. So I'm really excited that Paldea and Gen 9 in particular brought in the food aspect way more than the previous games did. We have the sandwich making mini game. We have all the little food carts around the different cities. And they really bring in a lot of the food that is uh, culturally specific to Spain. So for example, we have olive oil is coming from Spain, is the largest producer of olive oil, and it's heavily used in Spanish cuisine. Uh, it forms the base of many of their sauces, which are known as sofrito. And then Spanish culture also in general uses a lot of herbs, parsley, oregano, garlic. They also have a lot of meat dishes that center around chicken, pork, lamb, or veal, uh, as well as fish and seafood. Uh, And then some of the ways that food is served, there's a form of food called tapas and pinchos, which are snacks and appetizers. And those are commonly served in bars and cafes in Spain. Uh, And that's kind of how the food shows up in Paldea as well. There's little cafes, restaurants, all those food carts, like I said. Um, and how that shows up in the games in other ways. So we have the Smoliv family, Smoliv, Dolive, and Arboliva. And it's a pretty direct reference to olives and olive oil. They can be found in the Grand Olive Orchard, which is near the town of Cortando. And that's a pretty on-the-nose reference because that city also hosts the Olive Harvest Festival, which the player participates in for the gym challenge for Cortando. And also a little fun fact is that Smoliv's regular coloration is a green olive, but its shiny color is a black olive. Yeah, for seafood, we also have the fish Pokemon, Veluza, which is 
a little strange because it does shed its skin away in battle. It has a move called fillet away. It's a weird strategic move, but it's kind of cool. But it does have a real life reference in its name. So Veluza's name and appearance uh, suggest inspiration from Hakes, which are of the Merluchidea family. I think that's how you say that. And it's in the same order as cod and haddock. So it's a white fish of that nature. It's a very, very important fish in Spanish cuisine. So Spain is the biggest consumer of hake in the entire world. And it accounts for around half of all the hakes consumed in Europe alone. Um, so Spanish people eat a lot of hake. And then Veluza's name origin may be a combination of Velos, which is Spanish and Portuguese for fast and merluza which is the spanish word for hate and then outside of seafood other meats uh we have our beautiful and wonderful loving mascot pig pokemon like chonk <laughs> who really made a splash in the pokemon meme scene uh when the games were first announced uh even the name like chonk is so funny but it's really it's not just a pig it's based on the black iberian pig which is a really specific pig to spain um and it's the source of iberian ham or in spanish yamon iberico uh, and Iberian ham is highly regarded in Spanish and Portuguese cuisine as well. And it's pretty much considered like a hot cuisine item, exquisite delicacy, like pretty fancy stuff. And I know it's kind of like um, champagne in France is only from, you know, a one particular region. Like Yamon Iberico is only from this particular pig. And then we got to throw it back to the, like I said, sandwich making mini game, which is so funny. <laughs> Can we just put that out there? First of all, it, the first time you play it in the game is so funny. The graphic is hilarious, but it's not just a fun little thing that you can do to get power ups and such. Um, it's an actual reference to Spanish cuisine. Uh, and it's a sandwich called the bocadilla, which is a very particular type of sand sandwich for Spanish cuisine. Uh, it's usually made of a baguette or a similar type of bread to that. It's cut lengthwise and and it's usually seen as like a lower class form of food, meaning like it's low cost is basically made it universal across the entire country. Are um, you saying that Pokemon trainers are low class? <laughs> low class in terms of access to the food, I should say. Not low class <laughs> as in like. <laughs> Get out of here, you plebe. Yeah, they're not unclassy. Um, it's like the equivalent of like a ratatouille or something. Right, right. Everyone. Which is all, all the leftover food put together. Exactly. And you in the same style. Like a picnic, which is what you would do in the game. So <laughs> it's a really nice reference to Spanish, just like um, leisure culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you have to drink it with wine? You don't have to, but I would. Okay. <laughs> I, I do like, and I, I do know uh, they do put actual sauces on it, like mustard and ketchup, which is what we do in the game. <laughs> mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. A lot of the ingredients in the game are pretty like true to form. I don't think I've ever had a sandwich with ketchup. I'm not gonna lie. Take that as how spoiled I am. <laughs> <laughs> you're too. You're not low class. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Both my partners called me princess. <laughs> they look at me both and they go princess and I go okay thanks <laughs> you're like and what what about it yeah they're like we've been a you, just gotta, you just gotta lean in sometimes you're like yes you called me uh, no there are times where I go yeah okay I'm privileged <laughs> I do want to talk about food though too uh Escalivada uh, also shows up in the games. Uh, it's a it's actual traditional uh, Catalonian Valencia, uh, Murcia, uh, Aragon dish uh, composed of like smoky grilled vegetables. I love all the food you can buy in this game. Uh, and some of like, mm -hmm. and you know, obviously there's Japanese stuff in there. You're like, oh, ramen, great. Which I mean, I've only said since episode one on this show, Japan loves Japan, loves Japan, loves Japan, loves Japan. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, you know, like seeing the actual homage to Spain in Spanish culture was awesome. And so this dish here, the name comes from uh, Cantlana verb uh, uh, escalivar, uh, to cook in ashes. Uh, and it references the dishes preparation in embers of like wood fire. Uh, so, you know, you cook it like on a grate, sometimes like outdoors and it's like charred uh, or it's like mm -hmm. you cook it till it's charred or soft. Uh, sounds so and good. then like it's peeled. So, uh, and then like, you know, you can do, uh, like sometimes they like include things like eggplant and charred, like charred mm -hmm. on like a gas burner while the rest can be broiled. Charred eggplant is delicious, by the way. Oh, for real. Uh, -huh. uh but more importantly, I love that there was pa uh, paella de paldea in this game. And mm -hmm. this is one of my favorite dishes to make my, my, uh, fiance, Kevin. I love making paella. 
uh, you know, with chorizo, I like to throw in some onion shrimp, you know, some saffron peas, tomatoes, tossing some paprika, bay leaves, bell peppers, and some bombo rice. You, you, you got to get those, uh, those round green rice. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I also, I also make, I like to make paella too. That's like one of the things that we do. Like, I actually got him, I got, I got my, my husband a uh, paella maker for like one of his birthdays. <gasps> Are you gonna make us paella so... when we visit California? Oh my god, yes, actually, that'd be great. Yeah, if you want to pass on my house for sure. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, uh, I mean, and you can comment on this too, right? Like the, the dish is named from you know the, the, the pan that's used to cook it on an open fire, this large uh, frying mm-hmm. pan. Yeah. And, you know, while it has ancient roots, the traditional, uh, the, the, the new modern dish is, you know, back to the 18th, or sorry, the 19th century, so 1800s. Paella Valencia, it's a traditional paella of the Valencia region, and it, it's believed to be the original recipe, you know, having that brown grace, green rice, uh, you know, different varieties of green beans, uh, the bajoqueta or the tavea, hopefully I'm saying those right, uh, you know, rabbit, chicken, sometimes duck, or um, garfoil. Garfoil. It's another lima bean. That one I've never had, but I will try that. Sounds good. All, all beans sound good. Usually, though, you know, you're cooking it in olive oil or chicken broth. And I just, I love the way it was presented in the game, too. It really made me think of, like, oh, yeah, that's what it looks like when I'm done. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, so I thought that was really cool. Artichoke heart sometimes can get thrown in there too for, you know, seasonal ingredients. But, you know, and traditionally you want to use saffron, but some people can use turmeric if you're one of those people. It's okay to be wrong. Well, also saffron is just super expensive. It's like oh, yeah. $20 for like a few grains oh, pretty much. For sure. For sure. For sure. Don't, I'm not going to lie. I've made paella with turmeric. <laughs> we won't tell. <laughs> Um, but I really like this too because it ties into Spanish history here with uh, with the Moors. Hopefully, I say Moors, Moors, mm-hmm. Moors, Moors, Moors. Uh, so it ties into Spanish history with the Moors, uh, who you know it, it, it's a. We'll talk a little bit more about that group here in a minute. But you know, the Muslims in Spain began cultivating rice uh, as they came into you know the the Iberian Peninsula, uh, began cultivating it a few centuries later in the 10th century. And, you know, this did impact a lot of the dishes that would come from Spain. And, you know, it led to rice becoming a staple by the 15th century and, you know, making it custom to combine it with, you know, vegetables or beans, uh, coming back to that cod, which, by the way, like cod is amazing. <laughs> cod and like hat like like are- like, you know, you want to do some good fish and chips. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you get it fresh, you got to live right by the ocean. Oh, my gosh. And it's flaky and it just falls apart as you're chewing oh. it. Oh, I couldn't say it any better myself. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are so polite. <laughs> Madison, Madison, super polite. <laughs> um. But I like this, and I, you know, and I love that. I even they tied in the Pokemon to being fish that they, that would actually be eaten with this dish, yeah, which is funny because they never reference that the Pokemon are actually eaten. They're like, oh, until it, this game, yeah, until this and game. It's like, oh, it purposely yeah. sheds its skin and people eat it, and I'm like, that. Well, and hold I'm, on. You also have cloth. You can eat cloth. Yes, one of the dishes. Eat. This cloth stick is a literal ingredient Dish. in the sandwiches. Yeah, not even in the sandwiches. You can buy cloth. It's a cloth al uh, agilo, agil, cloth al agilo. Ah, uh, that is a dish I don't know, but it does look like it to be another Spanish dish. I mean, yeah, that kind of pointed out to me right away that we ha- were like, oh, we're finally acknowledging the fact that we're eating. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't deny they're pretty tasty. A, a little too real, but not too real. <laughs> it is what it is. I mean, I guess I wanted to ask, like, are, are we eating with the chunk? Well, I mean... I mean, I don't know where else yeah. the ham is going to come from, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Too bad they didn't call it uh, la chunk. Uh, but also, like, you can buy uh, salmon fillets with herbs, which was really weird to me, too, because you're like, well... Where did that salmon come from? Where did that come from? Yeah. We don't I have don't a, we don't have a salmon Pokemon yet. Unspoken mysteries with the food world. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, I think that's really it. Uh I just, you know, I love that there's a tie-in, especially to the Moor culture. 
Uh, but also, you know, these, these dishes, you know, even um, uh, pinchitos, uh, you know, another uh, another Spanish uh, cuisine food, you know, from Moor culture, Islamic culture there. Uh, kind of like a, like a kebab. I don't know. Have you ever had, you've, have you ever had one, Kirsten? Kebabs? Oh, of no, course. pinchitos. Oh, pinchitos? Yeah. Maybe. I'm not sure. They look good. I looked them up and I was like, I need these. Like, like the little, uh, um, but like, you know, in North Africa, you know, where a lot of the more people had uh, descended from, you know, they have similar dishes, obviously with like lamb. So I don't know. It just sounds good to me. On that topic, speaking of, speaking of peppers while you're bringing up peppers. We're going to talk about the worst uh, person in history uh, ever. There are, uh, there was one other reference I just wanted to point out as we're investigating, uh, some of the different pepper references. Uh, basically, there was one reference pepper that I thought was very interesting, which is like the super, I honestly thought it was just a very disturbing looking Pokemon, the Capsa Kid, which is supposed to be like, it looks like a, like a baby chick, but it's also like a, it's also a spicy pepper and it's a very clear reference to capsaicin. And capsaicin and just peppers in general are important to the history of Spain because Christopher Columbus, after his expeditions, it's a nice way to um, put he it. bought them. Yeah, I'm like, like, we don't have to go into that right now. But he did bring chilies back from like from the Americas straight to Spain. And apparently, according to my resources, uh, apparently Spain was the first country, European country to have them, um, where first people didn't really like them. But then they eventually became like its own source of like culture and uh, cooking in Spain. In particular, this like uh, regional varietal called the small green padron which is usually fried in certain tapas bars across the country. And um, one of the things I found kind of interesting about the Padron is that apparently most of them are kind of, you know, very savory, but then some of them are super spicy. So it's a little bit of like a Russian roulette where you're just like, is this going to like burn my mouth or is it going to be just delicious and nice? But about the Pokemon Capsacid, um, or Capsacid, you know, I don't really know how to pronounce it. <laughs> Capsacid. There's speculation that it could be referenced to the Pedron because it's like a little bit green looking. And when given a firestone, it evolves into the uh, the Pokemon that's even more disturbing looking to me, Scovillian, which looks which looks more like a like an actual pepper plant. It's still a little bit odd looking, but I think it's kind of cool because the thing is Scovillian is a very clear reference to the Scoville scale, which ranks how um, pungent and spicy and hot a different chili pepper is. Um, based on the caps- concentration of capsaicinoids, which is like what chemical actually gives the spicy pepper their um, their meaning or like their their heat, which I found very interesting. I just want to clarify really quick for everyone. Uh, Christopher Columbus was a genocidal piece of crap and is responsible for the death of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people and should be remembered as such. Uh, in fact, the Flaming Dice crew and I were just one of the other girls uh, and I were in an argument yesterday about <laughs> Uh, because the author who made him uh, famous in the Americas uh, is the same dude who wrote Sleepy Hollow. Oh, wait, really? He made he wait. made historical fiction Whoa. about Christopher. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. He made a historical fiction about Christopher Columbus uh, that became treated oh. as fact, uh, and that became uh, what America took to be fact instead of what actually happened. Huh. I didn't know any of these things. Wow. No, he wasn't even Spanish. I don't know what he's even out here for. Like, and he believed the Earth had a nipple. He believed the Earth had a nipple. Huh. <laughs> Thank you, Adam. Ruins everything. All right, let's talk about geography, though, because in addition to clearly the map looking like Spain, there's a lot more that went into this, isn't there? Uh, yes, there is. Um, so, okay. So basically I want to, I want to just start cause no. I went down a really deep rabbit hole, <laughs> um, like looking at, uh, uh, just looking at the different, uh, you know, I spent, I spent more time than I thought I would like looking at the map of Spain and then the map of Baldea and being like, well, this thing is located here. So first I'm just going to talk about Spain a little bit. Cause I learned a lot. It was super fun. So it's a country in Southwestern Europe, which apparently occupies about 82% of the Iberian Peninsula. And as you can expect, it being a major European country, it's one of the 50 largest countries in the world. Most of Spain's boundaries are water. You have the open Atlantic Ocean, the Northwest end, and then the Mediterranean Sea, which is only connected to the Atlantic through a very narrow channel on the southern uh, part of uh, Spain called the Straits of Gibraltar, which lies between the southernmost part of Spain and then like the northwesternmost part of Africa. 
And it also leads to exchange of water between the two different oceans, which is kind of interesting because they have like very different salinities and temperatures. And apparently at that region, you have a lot of interesting ecological um, things happening. So the geological history of the Iberian Peninsula has given rise to like a large chain of mountains that surrounds a high inland plateau, which on average is over 600 meters above sea level. And apparently, it's the second highest country in Europe, beaten only by Switzerland, which I found very surprising. Um, Spain is composed, like, there's a very, very vast plateau in Spain, which is called, known as the Meseta, which is Spanish for, like, big table, or mesa, which is an undulating plateau of sand and clay, um, right in toward the, which is center of which is located the capital city of Madrid. The Meseta is divided into, like, smaller little sub-plateaus, by a very like variety of mountain ranges, including the Sistema Central mountain range. Um, as a consequence of the, these little sub-plateaus, the surface of Spain is very varied and actually has a variety of microclimates, which um, are, according to the categories I saw, are Atlantic slash Oceanic, Continental, Mediterranean, Mediterranean Mountain, um, in addition to other never like small but nevertheless important climate zones. As a consequence of all these different microclimates, there's a lot of differences between in precipitation between different areas, including in the northwest, the north northwest region, um, which is influenced by the Atlantic Ocean, is a super wet area with no real dry season and is called España Húmeda. The rest of the country is mainly pretty dry, and southeast of Spain, it's like semi-arid landscape that, according to one commenter on the internet, is reminiscent of the Saharas. Spain is connected to France on the northeasternmost side by the Pyrenees mountain range. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. Apparently, the Pyrenees are older than the Alps, and it receives a lot of rain and snow. And I think, Ben, you had something you wanted to comment on here. Yes, um, I do know. So you were talking about the Meseta, uh, which is reminiscent for me of the region that's like east of Mesa Goza. Mm-hmm. And from what I understand, Mesa Goza is pretty uh, reminiscent of uh, Madrid because uh, it's right in the middle. It's on the mm-hmm. like that geography. But what's more interesting to me is the enormous, mm-hmm. unmissable crater that is just north of Mesa Goza in Paldea. Mm-hmm. And it's strange because from what I understand, they actually did find the first impact crater ever in Spain after the game was released. So it was discovered in the southern province of Almeria in actual Spain. And Mm. the finding was reported by Juan Antonio Sanchez Garrido of the University of Almeria at the Europlanet Science Mm. Congress in 2022, like right around when the games came out. So my understanding is that they were already out of production. And so the crater doesn't have anything to do with the actual games. So it's kind of funky that they just place it right in the center of the country. I did Mm -hmm. find, however, that because this game does have a few cross Latin references, you know, it's not just Spain, Mm -hmm. also Iberian culture uh, globally. So there's Brazilian references, there's Latin American references. Um, And there's a much bigger crater in Brazil called the Araguanha crater. uh, And I'm feeling like Mm -hmm. the reference in Paldea of the um, great crater of Paldea, that's what it's called, is a reference to maybe mm-hmm. that one um, if there was a real life touchstone to that crater. So it's it's yeah. a little tidbit. Yeah, no, definitely. Because Or it could be a big conspiracy between the prominent geologists of the world and the Pokemon game makers, right? <laughs> right, maybe they had some connections. I don't know. <laughs> I think that makes way more sense than <laughs> the coin. Just kidding. Definitely conspiracy. Okay. So now I want to talk a little bit about what the connections are with the pandea that we see in the actual game, which is where I just got so excited just looking at the map of the fictional landscape and then, you know, actual Spain being like, wow, this is so inspired. So like Spain, uh, South Pandea is bordered by water, except for a landmass on the northeastern side which is kind of like what would look like the connection that you have to France. And like Spain, Pandea is also bordered by water, except for a landmass on the northeastern side, which would be like the analog to France. And likewise also appears to have a bunch of little micro plateaus, like which you can see in the maps. Madrid, the real life Madrid is located in the heart of the Meseta in the same way that Mesagosa, one of like the major cities in Pandea, is, is located. It's also like kind of toward the center. And like I mentioned before, meseta means big table. And well, the word mesa goza, well, it has mesa on it, table. And then goza, like, so gozar means to like, to enjoy, to have a good time. 
But some people also speculate it sounds a little bit like Zaragoza, which is another city in Spain. So they're thinking, oh, maybe it's influenced by Zaragoza. Or to me, I mean, it's up to you, right? But um, to me, it makes more sense to just be like, enjoy big table, I guess. And like Madrid, uh, like Madrid, Misagosa has incorporated a lot of elements that are found in Spain, such as like having a large plaza and also like a beautiful large garden. And I want to talk about another spot, um, which is the Sierra Napada, which is where all like the major ice types can be found in this um, in this game. And it's it is considered to be an homage to Pico Aneto, which is going to be Spain's third highest mountain. And just like the general mountain range of Sierra Nevada, not to be confused with like the brewing company. Um, and, you know, it sounds it sounds pretty similar, right? Sierra Nevada, Sierra Napada. Um, one thing I found kind of interesting is that the word nepa, like Napada, it's uh, in Spanish, like Napada means the cover in cream or snow. I thought was like a cute way of, you know, kind of describing that. And basically, it's just like toward where the landmass would be. And like they're in equivalent spaces in the game and also in Pompeia. Well, I have a few minor things too. Mm -hmm. I like knowing the exact locales. To me, that's the thing that gets me when you're like, whoa, this Mm -hmm. building is that building and this is that. Because like, you know, before, you know, like uh, when the games originally came out, you know, I was a kid. And like, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be like, oh, well, that's clearly... Mm-hmm. What the hell did I know about, you know, what Japan was like? But I remember when Gen 5 came out right away, I was like, yo, that's Manhattan. <laughs> oh, huh. That'd be Manhattan. <laughs> uh, and I, I, to me, like ever since it's been like my biggest thing is looking at these games and being like, okay, wh- what can I take apart and like recognize? It's like, okay, this is a real world counterpart. And that's so interesting. You know, that love that gets put into it because you don't think about it. Yeah. Um, But I mean... So the, the Naranja or the Uva Academy is located in the real world location of Bar, uh, Barcelona, Barcelona. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, the building is based on certain buildings. You know, it has external architecture that's similar to, you know, the unfinished uh, Sangrada Familia Church or the Hospital de uh, Saint-Poix, hopefully. Saint-Poix. Mm-hmm. Saint-Poix. Hospital de Saint-Poix, in, uh, also in Barcelona. I love when, uh, you know, real world architecture gets brought into these games. Uh, You know, we've been seeing that a lot more and more. And we saw that in the last generation, too. And for me, like, that's one of the most interesting things. So, like, I don't know if we end up in Australia, we better get our opera house and it better be like a gym (laughs) or something. I'm going to be upset. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we want to talk about um, a few different cities, though, because I I love the cities. I think the cities are like my favorite parts of the game, honestly. I like I love the open world part, but for me, what's fun is the cities. And for anyone who knows me in real life, you're like that. That fits Madison, who does not want to go camping and just wants to be in the city. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, an the, urban, an urban girl. I get it. It's where the food is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, uh, uh, artisan, uh, you know, geographically it's matching uh, Mercia, uh, uh, especially the. Uh, oh, I'm gonna say these names ring, uh, Cartagena. Uh, you know, there's like a similar hedge hedge maze can be found. I love the windmills, though. Uh, I remember when we first saw mm-hmm. them. We first saw them on the previews. It, you know, all I thought of was uh, La Mancha. You know, those the giant mm-hmm. those windmills uh, that you know uh, make me think about Don Quixote, which I'm still sad that Quaxley did not involve in the Don Quixote. Though we're going to talk all about Quaxley in the next episode, part two. Uh, anyways, I'm going to try to go a little faster. So, uh, Lavincia, Valencia. Uh, same same letters, just swapped around. Mm-hmm. Mediterranean coastal city, uh, famous for you know the the city of arts and sciences and those that complex of museums. Uh, and it it honestly for anyone who's never seen these these structures and and they're gorgeous. Uh, the large mm-hmm. dome like structures, we got that in the game, didn't we? Didn't we like have the domes when you go into the city? Oh, I think yeah, so. I thought we did too. Because I, I remember mm-hmm. walking in and being like, "Whoa, this is Valencia. That's so cool." And I don't know. I just I think that was so awesome. Um, I do want to talk about the tag tree thicket. Um, you know, the Bosque de um, Oma, mm-hmm. the, the Oma Forest. You know, it's a work of art. For anyone who didn't know, created by um, Augustin uh, Iberola, uh, a Basque sculptor and painter. Uh, it was actually created sometime between 1982 and 85, uh, and it's considered uh, part of the land art movement. And you know, I just I don't know. It it I think it's such a cool homage that not only did we get mm-hmm. this in the game, 
but that they tied it into our new painting Pokemon. And apparently, you know, this this art was inspired by um, cave art nearby and, uh, you know, trying to paint on uh, natural structures with similar techniques that, uh, you know, uh, prehistoric people had used on natural rock formations. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Uh you know the the uh, the the Fury Falls uh, is uh, uh, Salto de, de la Novia, so it's a waterfall uh, which legends tell about. Like couples, uh, they get married. The brides jump in the river to show their love for the was true, uh, and if they succeed going over, the, the couple's gonna be happy when they're married. And then one of them doesn't make it, um, and uh, they both die. And it kind of reflects. In the game, you know, near Fury Falls, you can find Chiyu, one of the uh, the bringers of destruction and desolation and despair. And he's just doing his best being a goldfish. So well, that is fascinating. I didn't know it was based on an actual like, yeah. death story. Wow. <laughs> yeah, they do. That's what I said. They do a really good job tying in like locations of yeah. where things go. Yeah. Um, like they're uber specific by where things go. And I think that makes it uh-huh. so interesting. You're like God, damn. I'm very curious. I'm sh- I'm sure they had consultants like from Spain. I'm guessing they usually. My understanding um, that they usually go over to these countries for years and years and years. That's why really well because they've had um they've had hints of the next games. I think the first one I remember was in Gen. I want to say Gen Five. Gen Five had hints of France, mm-hmm. and then in the French games they talked about Hawaii. They had Hawaiian stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the one building, and then in the Alola mm. games, uh, there was a bunch of British. I'm trying to remember what the British thing was. There was a there mm. was a British thing because I said it on air here. Yeah. Okay, so they leave like little clues, like little little Easter eggs. Um, finally, though, the the um, Asado Desert is uh, uh, the Cresmina Dune, which, as Kirsten said, like the Iberian Peninsula is incredibly diverse ge- geographically. Um, you know, not just in like uh, I mean, like climate and everything. And uh, this is an extensive coastal sand dune system in Portugal uh, where, you know, mm-hmm. you can see the cliffs and uh, it just, I thought it was really cool. And then the circle of rocks where quaking earth is mm-hmm. actually might be inspired by mm-hmm. the um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's, it's a, it's a, a large groups of structured uh, minerals. Is that the way you say that? The megalithic uh, like circular structures. Um, mm-hmm with like the standing upright rocks. And I think that's cool. Cause um, you know, kind of, I mean, it's not stone edge, uh, but I thought it was cool that we saw those tie-ins in the game when you're in the desert mm-hmm. and you saw the little ruins and stuff. And it kind of ties into these engraved stones that are actually there in real life. Mm-hmm. We uh, need, we need more of this, more of this. Yeah. I love, like you said, the Uber specificity is so cool. Like I, they really did mm-hmm. their work. They did their research. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. Let's talk about uh, some more stuff. Maybe like some of the cultures and spiritualism and beliefs here going on. Yeah. So I'm going to jump in on this topic. So we had the geography, which is obviously very extensive, very specific. We have the food culture, which is just a nice little touch, really adds a lot of flair to the games. But the games also reflect a lot of the Iberian Peninsula's culture um, in other aspects. And one of the aspects that comes up is like the religious aspects of Spanish culture in the Iberian Peninsula. And so as far as actual, like what is Spain doing with religion these days? Um, so Catholicism is the largest and most widely professed religion in Spain right now. However, there are a lot of high levels of secularization as of like mm-hmm. this year. Um, you know, a lot more people were religious in the past than are professed to be religious now. Um, so they're kind of moving towards like a less religious society. Mm-hmm. But as far as Spanish government goes, freedom of religion is guaranteed. So we have Catholicism, but there's also a lot of Muslim faith going on there. And there's a few other like minor sects of other religions, Buddhism, which are not quite so high in number, but they do exist there. Um, And the history of this is that Judaism and Christianity were introduced all the way back in Roman times. And then Islam came in after the Muslim conquest of the 8th century. Um, So still like very, very long time ago. 
And then all the way up to 1978, which was not super long ago, the Spanish constitution abolished Catholicism as the official state religion. So they separated church and state um, in 1970. But like I said, they do ensure freedom of religion for all their citizens. And they do recognize through the breaking apart of church and state, they recognize that all the religious beliefs of all Spaniards are welcome and they want to establish appropriate Appropriate cooperation is the words they use with the Catholic Church and other religious confessions, just keeping them out of the political sphere. Um, and so how the, how does that show up in Paldea? Uh, the Academy in Mesa Goza, uh, Naranya and Uva, which Madison talked about a little earlier, is architecturally based on La Sagrada Familia, which is the largest unfinished Catholic Church in the world. It was started construction in 1882, and it's not done yet. I don't know if it's ever going to be done because that's a very long time for a building to sit unfinished in its construction. But it began under the architect Francisco de Paula de Villar. I do not speak Spanish, so I'm so sorry if these names are just butchered. But then in November 2010, uh, Pope Benedict XVI actually consecrated the church and proclaimed it proclaimed it a minor basilica. So despite it being unfinished, it's still a very prominent piece of architecture in Spain. Uh, and it is featured in Peltea. Oh, nice. Well, speaking like moving, so moving over a little bit from that was super interesting learning about like the religion and like the relationship between like the academy. One thing I just want to point out while we're just talking a little bit about some cultural traditions, I want to talk about Gimigol, which is the Pokemon that you, you know, whenever you find a tower, you'll run into Gimigol and you'll get some coins. But so I just want to point out um, one, some theories on the internet suggest that um, Gimigol might be a reference to the Spanish, to like the Spanish and Christopher Columbus. Um, oh, but there's another gold, which led to colonialism. Oh yep, God, that's exactly. terrible, that's terrible. <laughs> and I used to um, love gold. No, well, no. I mean, no. The thing is, the thing is, it might. So that was one of the theories. But there's another theory that I think makes a lot more sense. It's also a little, a little bit nicer. Um, which is that it might be a reference to Patufe, a folkloric character of the Catalan tradition. So we haven't really talked a little, a little bit about like, Catalonia, but it's a separate region of Spain, a separate community of Spain. They speak a separate language. Um, it's like a designated its own nationality, basically. Like I have friends that are from Spain and they speak Catalan, which is very, very different from from Spanish. And there's apparently this, this folkloric character in the Catalan tradition of a little boy named Patufe, who's a very teeny tiny child, kind of like Tom Thumb. He's the size of a grain of rice, but he carries around a coin so that people will see him, right? Because you're not going to, you're not going to like see a cord on the road and, and step on it. Um, so basically he runs around errands, doing errands. And then one day he gets eaten by an ox. And then his parents are running around being like, oh my God, Patufe, where are you? And he's like, I'm inside the ox's belly. And then they end up feeding the ox cabbage to make it fart. And then he comes out faster. Um, Great. Likewise, um, trainers who are, uh, need to be on the lookout uh, for gimme goal, right? <laughs> so, I, so you know, whether or not this is true, it, it, I just found a very interesting story. And it was fun learning about that. Okay, wait, that's so funny. Because in the games, um, how you know there's a gimme goal around is you can hear its little sound. It like makes little like, right? tinkly yeah. sounds. Right? So yeah. Like, I pr- feel like that's a pretty similar, like a reference to that story. That makes total sense. That's what I think. I think it's a lot, um, a lot uh, more innocent too than. Uh, What's up with Spain and all the poop? Is lore? there more? I don't know. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know of the uh, the uh, the the cagatillo? No, I don't think I do. Cagatillo. Cagatillo. The, the the Catalan and log that poops nuggets at Christmas. So everyone, so you know, the word cagar means to poop in Spanish. So, um, I didn't know about that. <gasps> okay, you didn't? Mm-hmm. This is what a, like, you put all the candy in it and, it, like, it poops oh. it and then you eat it. No, but you know what? Apparently, I'm just Googling it right now. Apparently, this is also a Catalan tradition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's worth noting that not one, but two pieces of lore revolve around pooping and farting. Mm-hmm. I wish, I wish we had more of that from everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. We're going to, wrap begin to wrap this up and we're gonna go a little we're gonna try to brief this um ben and i have like three pages of notes so i think we're gonna try to wrap it up 
<laughs> yeah, no, uh, Madison's right. There's a, there's just, it's a lot when you're trying to fit the entire country, history, geography, everything of a place in the world into like an hour podcast. Um, so we try to do our best. But one thing that I feel we have to go into just a little bit, just to make sure we touch on it, is the history of colonization. Because, you know, we talked about Christopher Columbus. Spain does have a large history of, you know, conquering empire, uh, colonizing the world. You know, they came and colonized all of Latin America and a lot of South America and a lot of North America, actually. But so just to touch on that briefly is Spanish colonization of South America really defined uh, South America's early political geography, like overall, very particularly the Treaty of Tordesillas of 1494 granted Spain and Portugal the exclusive right to colonize all lands outside of Europe, which is wild to me. Um, and it established a line of demarcation and gave all land west of the line to Spain and all land east of the line to Portugal. And so Spain colonized the majority of South America and then Portugal ended up colonizing Brazil. So I think the line was right between Brazil and then the countries to its left. As far as the empire and politics goes, otherwise, the monarchy in Spain, because it does have a monarchy system, or it used to, um, it has its roots in the Visigothic kingdom and its Christian successor states of Navarre, Asturias, and Aragon, uh, which fought the Reconquista of the Iberian Peninsula following the like Muslim conquest of Hispania in the 8th century. Uh, and then one of the earliest influential dynasties of ruling after that happened was the House of Jimenez, which or Jimenez, which united much of the Christian Iberian Peninsula under its leadership in the 11th century. So there were a few members of the Jimenez family that kind of ruled at that time, and they took the title Emperor of All Spain. They do not have a government that functions that way anymore, but that's what it was like, you know, back in those olden medieval times. That actually makes me think of um, in the game right and we do know that pokemon's bad on timelines we did that whole episode i think kirsten was here we talked about uh extinct pokemon and the fact that this game does not understand time in any way shape or form at all <laughs> and uh but like you know we talk about the paldean emperor it's thing that's brought up right and i uh, you know talks about this great age of exploration and expeditions to the crater you know, we know that was 2,000 years before the game. In 1,000 years, right, the empire falls to decline due to expenses of supporting countless failed expeditions. Hmm. Reminds me of something else. Uh, you know, another uh, another set of uh, Spanish rulers that uh, was looking for gold in the Caribbean and instead brought back spices and peppers. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, you know... <laughs> Uh, but also, like, you know, that it eventually is unite. The empire is unified 800 years ago. And that kind of ties in. That's the kicker for me is that, like, Spain's final unification is new in a, like, relative time scale. Like, you know, it's like 600 years ago, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere in there. Because as you said, before that, it was a bunch of smaller kingdoms, you know, with a lot of uh, Muslim kingdoms in the south and Christian kingdoms in the north. And even before that, there was, you know, the the Moors, which we talked about before, you know, and, and that term, I want to be clear, uh, is an exonym used by Christian Europeans to designate Muslim inhabitants of the, Iber of the Iberian Peninsula, Sicily or, or Malta during the Middle Ages. And it's not even a way that's really defined them. And even like Encyclopedia Britannica, you know, notes that it has no real ethnological value, the term, but it's how they were labeled in the time. And Apparently, Europeans even used it to just refer to Muslims in general, including those like in North Africa. Even the Spanish would use it like in um, the Philippines, which I thought was kind of interesting. But yeah, it's worth noting, like, you know, uh, you know, 700 uh, around 700 AD, you know, that's when we see the Islamic Arabs and the Moors of Berber kind of coming in to Spain uh, across the street of Gibraltar. I'm pretty sure it is Gibraltar. Pretty sure. I learned that from Gundam. <laughs> and, you know, like, it just, it's so interesting to me that, like, they came in and then they took over and conquered the, um, how do I say, Vis Visigothic Christian uh, Hispania. So they come in, they take over. And then, you know, by 1000 AD, you know, they, you know, uh, they go from, smaller groups 
of, of the, these people that are labeled the Moors to, you know, around 700,000. And it's just it's interesting to me, like this back and forth. And then, you know, in the 1200s, we have coalition of Christian kings start kind of trying to do what's called the uh, Reconquista, you know, the, the, to retake. And, you know, it just kind of it's like this back and forth. And eventually, you know, there's even there is the Moorish kingdom of Granada uh, that, you know, does last several more centuries until 1492. And until then, you know, then it's like this, then it becomes the, we see, that's when we see this, you know, the Spanish uh, Roman Catholic kind of come in. And that's when they, you know, are, are not only pushing out Muslims, but also the uh, Jewish people too. And for me, just, you know, like, and again, this is a super complex history and I don't want to go super in depth for it because it goes back and forth. But I mean, it does end with people essentially being told you can convert leave or you know be or die but i want to talk about it because i i i don't know about you two did you two play the mini games in the school like were you yeah. taking classes i didn't i did i loved that that was one of my favorite additions to the game i was like what is this, no, this is so no. cool i'm way too goal driven um, his- i'm like main game <laughs> the history teacher talks in depth about like the spanish king's yeah. history mm-hmm. And like his conquest, mm. and she describes him as like a dictator, and like him coming in and like taking over and stuff. And you're like, whoa! Like she, like his exact words was, "The Paldean Emperor is quite yeah, the dictator." No, it's fascinating, mm. and I love. I was playing these little um, classes or whatever, and I was thinking how cool it is that because people are always like, "Oh, Pokemon's a kids game," and I was like, "It's so cool that they are teaching this mm-hmm. history that's like pretty much." oblique if not direct reference to real history to kids mm-hmm. to know that Spain yeah. actually really had like an emperor and a conquest and all these riches yeah. um i love it mm-hmm. well and she talks about them like having issues and struggles against neighboring like kingdoms and mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. and like i to me that's where it gets interesting is that like it's it kind of makes me think of spain's history which is a lot of turmoil even post, you know, unification, you know, Spanish Civil War, you know, a hundred years ago, uh, not not even, but like to me, like it stands out. And and what stood out to me the most playing through the game was the combination of the history and the geography. Like we said, it, like the little homages to the ancient cultures that were there, mm-hmm. buildings and ruins, and every time I'd see those castles. Like the ones where you find like the towers with Gimme Ghoul. Like those homages are where it stood out to me. And it was like, oh, this is cool. This is a reference to, you know, these peoples that were here. And I think that's the part that gets overlooked a lot is that people aren't looking at it and being like, oh, wow. There really was a lot of love and care and genuine thought. Yeah. And not just this yeah. is a fun game. No, I you're so right. Especially because this was billed as the first like open world Pokemon game, um, Legends Arceus, like notwithstanding. Um, but mm-hmm. it is so cool that they brought in actual like they anchored it, like you said, with the ruin. Mm-hmm. Is so cool that they did it that way. Like it was a really smart adaptation. Well, and they did good with that too. With um, with Sword and Shield, like, they've been doing this for a long time. And if you don't know to look for it, um, it's just like. You know, I've I've always been honest on this show. My thing is social sciences, and for me, I'm always looking for that. I'm like, whoa, where's the connection? Where's where's this tie-in? Where's this folklore? And I know we've talked about some of the you know the mythologies already on on the show since the game has come out, um, and we definitely have to do another episode all about that about some of the Paldean mythologies that tie in because again, like like Kirsten pointed out, they've done a pretty good job at tying in some of the things that you wouldn't know to look at. You're like, oh, that's kind of cool. I didn't even think about that. Or even like the food, like you pointed out, Ben, with uh, with our fish here. Like, I don't know. I just think they did a good job on this game. I know a lot of people didn't like it mm-hmm. or said they didn't like the buggy or the glitchy. But yeah, honestly, it was my very glitchy, but I didn't care. I mean, like, I'm not I'm not here because I want like the real world. It's like <laughs> they're, they're, there's a real life out there. If I want everything to be perfect resolution, I'll just look out the window. I'll go touch grass, as they say. <laughs> I take off my glasses and nothing's in yeah. perfect resolution. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can make that happen for myself. Take out my contacts and it's all glitchy. <laughs> <laughs> Kristen's like, well, I have perfect vision. No, I don't. I wear contacts. I have like negative four. Oh, really? Okay, so all of us are <laughs> blind, huh? <laughs> yeah. 
But I, I, I also have visual snow. I didn't want to bore people with this, but I also have visual snow. So everything always looks super, I, I, everything is very granular for me in general. Fun thing we can talk about later. Sorry. One last thing I want to talk about that you both. What if, what, what, what is it that, and not just future games, but like we're getting an expansion pass here. Like what are some things that you would like to see in future games or added? Added in future games. Hmm. Or in the expansion pass, like to tie into Spanish or Spain. Um, I know for me, I did say, especially with the DLCs coming out, there's one slated for fall and one for winter of this year. And I really, really want to see more regional forms that are tied to Spanish culture in particular. The ones we got that are most prominent for Paldea so far are Paldean Whooper, which is based on the Iberian ribbed newt. Mm-hmm. One of so our favorite cute. on the show. Um, and then we have Paldean Turos with his three forms, which is a very obvious reference to Spanish bullfighting. Um, so I would really love to see some more like regional, culturally specific forms in the DLC. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. So we did talk about like how there were a few Catalan references. I think it'd be kind of fun to kind of dig into that a little more. Like maybe there's a separate region in Paldea where, you know, they speak a totally different language. I mean, I think they did a great, if, if, if Gimme Goal is really based on Patufe, I think that was like a really lovely like way of referencing Catalan tradition, but they could definitely pull in some more, I think. Um, even though I know my, my understanding is that um, the concept of Catalonia can be a little bit controversial in Spain. So maybe, you know, maybe it's kind of, they don't want to touch that, I don't know. And I think just more of it. I just, I just loved every single aspect of this game. Like glitch is not withstanding. I want to see uh, Anjanas and uh, uh, Duendes. I want to see some more of like Spanish folklore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to see like more fairies and then like some gnome like creatures. Oh yeah, that's what I want to see. I want to see more yeah. of that. Yeah, and I ho- I hope we get a few more mons uh, mm-hmm. with DLC. Mm-hmm. Oh, I did want to say I wanted more music. I wanted some more musical reference too. I, like there should have been like some kind of like rumba style, you know, battle scene or something like I that. I still agree with that. I felt like the Spanish music culture, I wanted more. I think there were a few references. I mean, you know, I'm thinking of Cuapo Hall mm-hmm. right away, of course, our dancer extraordinaire. Mm-hmm. But I wanted more mm-hmm. just like maybe the soundtrack. I wanted more like uh, yeah. references, Spanish guitar, that sort of thing. Or maybe I just wasn't finding yeah. it. But yeah, more of that. I never get to play with the sound on because as mom, like mm-hmm. it never happens. Mm-hmm. So I will have to go back and yeah. listen. Well, to I know that the music was composed by Toby Fox, which did the, which did, he did the soundtrack for Undertale. So I wouldn't exactly call him like mm-hmm. a Spanish music expert, um, but he's a very talented yeah. composer. So I wonder what his reference points were. I do. I do just want to say, I recently discovered an Instagram where they like, they do like bachata renditions of Pokemon things. Anyways, it's not relevant. I'll, I'll tell you guys about that later. Okay. Well, Hopefully, we get to see some of that coming up. And uh, if we do, we'll be talking about it here next time. Mm-hmm. So thank you for coming. And thank you, too, for being yeah. here today. Well, thank you so much, Madison. Great meeting you, guys. Thank you. Yeah, I'll be back. I'll be back. I'll be back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 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 <laughs>